Lord, we do indeed face many trials and anxieties because we do not take those things to you in prayer. Lord, pray that you would use the words out of the book of James this morning to help us have peace and even joy in the midst of all we face. And we pray this in your name. Amen. The uh, author, Max Lucado, tells a story that he read in a newspaper about a woman who owned a parakeet named Chippy. And the woman one day decided that she wanted to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. You can tell this is going to end badly for Chippy. So she stuck the hose in the cage and then the phone rang and as she turned to pick it up she heard this giant sound. The newspaper said poor Chippy never saw it coming. One, one day, one moment he was just sitting in his cage, the next sucked into a vacuum cleaner. So she opened it up, and Chippy was still alive, fortunately, but he was dirty. So she held him under the faucet to clean him off. And then he was kind of wet and cold, so she took a hair dryer and blasted him dry with hot air. A couple days later, the reporter who did the story called just to see how Chippy was doing, and the owner said, I don't understand it. He doesn't chirp anymore. He just sits and stares at the wall. <laughs> Go figure. You ever feel like Chippy? Sort of one moment, life is just going fine, and the next, sucked up by the vacuum cleaner of life trials. This summer, we are going to be looking at the book of James in the Bible. And James is a very practical book about how to put our faith in action so that it will make a difference in our lives. And the book of James is a letter written to people all over the Roman world, Christians scattered all over the Roman world. And the very first thing James says in this letter is consider it all joy whenever you face trials of any kind. Kind of a strange way to start a letter, don't you think? I mean, imagine reading this verse to a person who has just lost their spouse or to someone who's going through a family crisis. Consider it joy. What on earth does James mean by that? It almost sounds trite. I think it's important to, to, to just point out that James, I don't think James is saying that the point here is to enjoy painful things when they happen. We can't do that, and it's not noble to do that. It's just stupid. Even though sometimes in our culture, I think that's what we do. We, we almost enjoy the pain that we have. We, we sort of wallow in it, or maybe go on Dr. Phil and talk about it sort of endlessly. Or the other thing we do in our culture, the opposite extreme, is we pretend nothing's wrong. We sort of keep a stiff upper lip. But between wallowing in our misery and pretending that there's nothing wrong, James gives us a third alternative. And that is to find God's joy in the middle of whatever trials we face. Not happiness, which depends on circumstances, but the deep abiding joy of Jesus that only he can give that transcends circumstances. And I think James says that we can do that if we do at least two things. And the first is this, to accept that trials are going to happen. And here's why I think this is important. Because as Americans, I think we deep down have this belief that we have this inalienable right to a pain-free life. And that being a Christian is like a Teflon coating and that messes that stick to other people should just glide right off of us. And I think that makes our suffering even worse because if we face trials, we, we start to feel that we've been ripped off or something isn't working right or we've been singled out somehow. And so we start to suffer that we suffer. Meta-suffering. You know, nobody needs that. But in the school of life, trials are not electives. They are required courses. 
James says, consider it joy. He, doesn't, he does not say consider it joy if you suffer. He, can, he says consider it joy when you suffer. Even people who follow Jesus have trials. Can you name one person in the Bible, one person in the Bible who didn't suffer in some way or face some kind of trials? They all did. Even Jesus suffered. James, who's writing this letter, he suffered. He grew up poor and he was persecuted for being a Christian. On top of that, he was Jesus' younger brother. Some of you grew up being compared to your siblings. Imagine being Jesus' younger brother. Why can't you be more like your brother Jesus, right? How irritated would that be? And then he went on to follow Jesus as a pastor in Jerusalem where Jesus used to preach. Imagine following Jesus as a pastor, right? Run out of iced tea at the church picnic. People start to say, well, if our last pastor was here, he'd have turned the water into soda pop by now. No matter who we are, we are going to face trials. We need to make friends with that fact. Now, I know that raises a lot of questions. How can God let people suffer? And I've talked about that on a lot of different occasions, so I'm not going to go into it now. Suffice it to say that God does not cause our trials. They are the result of being sinful people in a sinful world and living in bodies that no longer work the way God intended them to. It's not what he wants. Someday he's going to put a stop to it. But as Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. When we make friends with the fact that we will encounter trials, it at least takes away this sense that some kind of injustice has been done if we suffer. But that probably doesn't make you feel much better, so let me go on to point two. Another way that we can find joy, even in pain, is if we trust that God brings good out of trials. As I've said before, with Jesus, suffering is never hamster wheel suffering. You know, just around and around and around. With Jesus, it's always pottery wheel suffering. It always produces something good. So let me just list a couple of good things that can come out of trials. First, trials can make us stronger. You know, I don't know about you, but my squeal point is embarrassingly low. Right? The smallest things make me feel, uh, feel like a trial to me. You know, we're out of barbecue sauce. Where's God when it hurts? And I think that's a result of our affluence. We, we, as we have so much money, we are often able to keep a lot of suffering at bay. But you know what? That just weakens us. I have a friend who moved a, a shrub in his yard, and his neighbor just went crazy that this shrub, shrub had been moved. It just really bothered the neighbor that this shrub had been moved. I mean, you can see the neighbor's point, right? The horror of a moved shrub. And that's what happens. When we live our whole lives with the goal of being comfortable, the smallest things begin to just bug us and drive us crazy. But trials can toughen us up. In this passage, James says trials produce endurance. And the Greek word he uses is hupomene. And the prefix hupo means underneath. So hupomene means to bear up under. I think it's interesting that James doesn't say hypomene. Hypo means on top of. So hypomene would mean to be on top of all of our problems. You know, just chipper whenever we face problems. He doesn't say that. He says hupomene. Many things in life are painful, but with Jesus we can bear up under it and become stronger people. You know, as a pastor, I have been with a lot of people in just some, some of the most horrific moments in life. The loss of a child, the, the death of a spouse, family crises. 
And from what I have observed over and over again, I am convinced that when we get to those places, God gives us an extra measure of his supernatural strength and his supernatural peace in those times. There's a man I know right now who has a very difficult form of cancer, and he may not make it. But lately, all he can do is smile and laugh. And he's just got this supernatural joy. It's as if he has one foot in this world and the other foot in the other world. And the veil is getting very thin between them. And he's laughing and happy. I mean, he's not even crazy. He just has the joy of Jesus, even in the most difficult trial in his life. And he's stronger. Trials can make us stronger. And they give us hope, because each time we overcome a trial, it gives us confidence that God, who has seen us through in the past, will see us through in the future. Another good thing that comes out of trials is our trials can be used for good in other people's lives. Pastor John Orberg tells a story of being in Ethiopia and meeting a man who'd been thrown in prison for being a Christian. That was his whole crime, just being a Christian. And the guards would beat him in public, but then in private they'd come to him and they'd say, who is this Jesus that you're willing to suffer so much for? And the people in the prison would always get excited whenever a Christian was thrown in prison because they knew the Christian community would bring so much food that everyone in the prison would have enough to eat. And the Christians in Ethiopia call that particular prison the university. Because whenever God wants to develop a leader, that prison is like grad school. Their faith just blossoms when they're there. John also met a leading doctor while he was in Ethiopia who had a lot of connections, easily could have gone to another country, made a lot of money, but he chose instead to stay in Ethiopia, choose a life of trials, be in and out of prison in order to work with Christians in that country. And at one point, John said to this doctor, we'll pray that God will spare you any suffering. And the doctor's response was, why would you pray that? Pray instead that God will use us. God is using the suffering of these Ethiopian Christians for good in other people's lives, to point to Jesus, to, to, to give prisoners food, to develop leaders. The person who's been through a divorce or addiction or poverty is often the best person to help someone else in that place of pain. Trials can be used for good for other people. Another good thing that comes out of trials is they can draw us closer to other people. This week I was talking to a couple who said that in the last 18 months in their Bible study, one couple has lost their son, another woman lost her mother, another got cancer, and another faced major surgery. All in just 18 months in one Bible study. But they said that it's drawn all the people in that Bible study a lot closer together. Because as they prayed for each other and cried with each other and taken meals to each other and helped each other, that's helped them all get a lot closer. And the funny thing is, now other people want to get into that Bible study. I mean, you'd think with all the trials these people had faced in the last 18 months, folks would be going, whoa, stay away from that Bible study. But people want to join it. Because the community there is just so tight. Trials can make us close to others. And finally, trials draw us closer to Jesus. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. Whenever I face a difficult time, I have to hang on to Jesus all the more, and that makes me closer to him. You see, trials can make us bitter, or they can make us better. And with Jesus, they make us better. There is not one trial that I have gone through that I would trade. I didn't like them. I don't want to go through them again. But God has used everyone to make me better. It's like what James says at the end of this passage. 
Anyone who endures trials will receive the crown of life that God has promised. At the end of our trials is a more abundant life if we go through them with Jesus. It's like the old joke with all this manure. Got to be a pony in there somewhere. Besides, eventually all trials have an end, right? Nothing lasts forever. One of the most frequent phrases in the Bible is, and it came to pass, right? And it came to pass that this or that thing happened. Well, here's the deal. If it came to pass, it didn't come to stay. Nothing is permanent. Yeah, the pain of some trials may linger for a long time, but even then, God gives us an extra measure of his presence. And yeah, sometimes the ultimate healing for our trials comes when we are with Jesus on the other side. But God will use everything for good, and one day we'll put an end to all of our suffering. We can find joy, even in trials, if we accept that they're going to happen and trust that God is going to bring good out. So practically speaking, if we're in the middle of a trial, what are some things we can do to find this kind of joy? Well, the first thing is you've got to ask God for help. And the first thing we have to ask for is his presence. We've got to pray that over and over because the first thing we need in a trial is to know that Jesus is with us, holding on to us when we can't stand ourselves. And then if we, as James says in this passage, don't have the wisdom to see how God is using it for good, then ask him to give us that wisdom and he'll do that. And ask him to do that every day and he will answer that prayer. I think the second thing we've got to do is we've got to choose joy. James doesn't say it is joy when we encounter trials. He says consider it joy. This is a considered joy. It's something, a deliberate act of our will to choose to look for the good things that God is going to bring out of it. We have to choose it. We have to consider it. And finally, we've got to get close to Jesus. One of the reasons I'm a Christian is that every other religion says that if you're suffering, it's your fault. Because of something you did wrong in this life or another or it's just random and meaningless. And only Jesus gives us the promise to transform suffering into hope. Muhammad doesn't do that. Buddha didn't even try. But Jesus does. And Jesus himself suffered. As God, he easily could have avoided that, but instead he chose to suffer with us so that he would know what we go through. If you've been abandoned, so was Jesus. Felt the sting of poverty, so did Jesus. Someone you love die on you? Happened to Jesus too. We are not alone in our pain. But he doesn't just share our suffering, he transforms it. You know what the two worst days in Satan's life were? The day Jesus was crucified and the day he was raised from the dead. Because that publicly demonstrated to all forever that God was more powerful than the worst thing that evil could do. The cross is Jesus saying to Satan, go ahead, continue with your best shot. Fire away, you're not going to win. You can even kill God himself, and God will use that to forgive every sin and then break the power of death and suffering with his resurrection. There's a man in my former church whose life had gone very well. He'd gone to Stanford on a soccer scholarship. He had a loving wife, was a top director at Hewlett-Packard. And then one day when he was in the hospital for some tests, the doctor told him that he had cancer. And this is what he writes about that experience. He said, it was like I was suddenly in a dark hall. I went back to my room and I broke down. I'd just become a Christian about two years before. I'd always had a kind of scientific approach to everything. Prove this, prove that, I'd say. But I had a wife who was praying for me, and one day, when I was in church, I got it. The joy on the people's faces was just contagious, so I asked Jesus into my heart. But now, in my room, I was devastated. I felt alone. Well, the chaplain of the hospital happened to be on the wrong floor just then, 
He was supposed to be on the fifth floor. Instead, for some reason, he came to the sixth. And then he wandered into my room. And all of a sudden, there he was, reaching out to shake my hand. And then he said, do you mind if we pray? I'll never forget that hand offering me prayer when I needed it most, right at the lowest point of my life. It reminded me of what we soccer fans call the hand of God goal. It's something that happened in a match in 1986 when Diego Maradona put his hand up to shield himself and the ball bounced off his hand into the net to make a goal. And now this hand, held out in prayer, to me was like that hand because that chaplain's prayer scored a goal in my heart. You see, up until that time, I'd seen God as someone who was out there. But when that chaplain prayed, I knew God was right here for me, right in that moment. And as he prayed, it was like God said to me, I've got you. Go ahead and fall. I'll catch you. It's okay. And then for some reason, I was filled with an inexplicable joy, and it just started spilling out all over me. I couldn't stop smiling. I'm going to fight this thing, I thought. And then I went right out to talk to the doctor about how I was going to do that, and I was smiling. In fact, I was so joyful, the doctor actually offered me medication to calm me down. <laughs> that prayer gave me the drive to tackle cancer. I'm not saying the treatments weren't tough. They were. And I wouldn't wish this path on anyone in order to get to God. But now I know that God isn't just out there somewhere. He's right here, available, present, close. And during the most difficult times, I knew I was not alone. Here's a man who had never faced any significant trial in his life, having to come to terms for the first time with real pain. And yet he could see God use it for good, making him stronger, but more importantly, making God real. God moved from being a theological concept, you know, the unmoved mover, the great whatever, to being the Jesus that was standing right by his side. And what he discovered was that he's not alone, and neither are you. And that gave him joy, so much joy, the doctor wanted to medicate it out of him. And now he's got a great story to tell, a testimony of God's faithfulness. But here's the deal. You can't have a testimony unless you have a text. can't have a testimony unless you have a text. So what's your trial? We all have them. Little ones, big, heartbreaking ones, and everything in between. So if you're in that, will you pray, Lord, show me how you're going to use this for good. And help me experience your presence. And then choose to look for what God is doing, even in the middle of your trial, so that you can know his joy that transcends all circumstances. Listen to what God says to you through the prophet Isaiah. God says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. When, not if, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And you are precious and honored in my sight, and I love you. And if that's true, and it is, then as the Apostle Paul says, that means there is now nothing that can separate us from God's love. Not trials, not troubles, not hardships, not famine, peril, persecution, nakedness, or the sword. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors, more than conquerors through him who loves us. 
For neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor powers, nor principalities, nor height, nor depth, nor anything, anything in all creation, there is nothing, no thing, not one thing that can ever sever you from the love you have in Jesus Christ. And if God is that much for you, then there's nothing that can be against you. Lord Jesus, we have a hard time believing this in a way that makes it real. I pray for those people who are facing trials. Lord, that we would know an extra measure of your peace and of your confidence and of your joy. Meet us in those places, Lord. And give us your joy that transcends even the worst circumstances. We pray this in your name. Amen.